Hey there, I'm Matthew Foley and this is ISO Insights, where God's truth grows in the midst of current culture, renewing the mind and spirit. Welcome back to ISO Insights, and today I've got a very special guest on. I'm very uh, glad to have him on, honored to have him on today. It is Dr. Ricky Moore, uh, who has been a professor. I'll give him a little bit of an introduction so that you guys will know uh, a little bit about Dr. Moore. He has been a professor, very well-respected professor at Lee University and the Pentecostal Theological Seminary, uh, and he, his focus in studies is in biblical studies. He has written works, uh, books, and peer-reviewed articles, including Old Testament Survey, that's a textbook that he wrote uh, in conjunction with Dr. Brian Peterson. It's called Voice, Word, and Spirit, and he has also written The Spirit of the Old Testament. That's a book, as well as he's co-authored essays and articles with other names in his field. He is known for specialty research and expertise among the prophetic literature of the Old Testament and the study of Pentecostal hermeneutic. But more recently, and this is going to be more of the focus of what we talk about today, he was a part of a uh, the, the Lee University movement, uh, I believe he referred to it as a prayer vigil, what mm -hmm. happened, and a lot of people referred to it as a revival, and CBN did a report on it, and it was during uh, overlapping in conjunction with the time the Asbury revival took place, but uh, he was a major part, I, I'll probably say the major part of the faculty that was involved with the student body uh, at the time that my wife and I went, went to the, went one of the meetings there that night. Uh, on the campus at Lee University. And we were able to see how he led and helped the students kind of walk out, talk about their testimonies of what they were experiencing with the Lord. So I'm so glad to have him on today. Thank you for coming on, Dr. Moore. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I just wanted to uh, go ahead and dive in. And I wanted to say, uh, first of all, because I kind of do this with all guests, just briefly, um, did you always grow up knowing the Lord? Did you grow up in a Christian family? And um, what has kind of preceded your walk with God in your life to bring you to where you are today? Well, how much time do we have? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, it's hard to do that briefly. You're, you're brave to ask a 70-year-old <laughs> man that, that kind of question. Um, I have a rich uh, spiritual heritage. Um, my uh, father was the son of a sharecropper mm. and a pioneer Pentecostal preacher and church planter in West Tennessee. So both my parents come from West Tennessee. All my, you know, genealogical roots are, are there. Um, and the story of my grandfather, I guess, is the beginning of it all. Um, he was a, a young man, a young farmer, and uh, someone, um, I believe, who had been touched with the flame of Azusa Street mm. was uh, traveling around that part of the country uh, like so many were traveling around the world yeah. to spread the flame of, of the Azusa uh, outpouring. And uh, he got off at the train depot in the little town where my parents uh, were raised and uh, uh, got a permission from another farmer to, to build a brush arbor. Mm -hmm. And uh, people started coming to it, caused a lot of controversy. My grandfather heard about it. He was pretty skeptical. He went, and before it was over, uh, the Lord set him on fire, and he began to testify, and uh, then began to preach, and then began to plant churches. And he planted quite a few small Pentecostal churches in that region. Uh, so that's the beginning of my heritage. Um, and then my father, 
you know, left the farm like so many Southern young men, went off and fought in World War II in the Pacific Theater, uh, came home, uh, met his um, hometown sweetheart. They got married. Um, and then uh, my dad tried his hand at farming, moved the family to southeast Missouri, uh, and uh, things didn't go well after a few years. And like so many Southerners, uh, there were opportunities for factory work in and around Detroit, Michigan. And so uh, he went there carrying his, you know, Southern heritage and strong work ethic like so many other Southerners uh, and also their spiritual heritage. And uh, so there's a, there were a lot of small Pentecostal churches uh, in Southern Michigan around Detroit. And so I grew up uh, in, a, in a wonderful local congregation of, of saints um, that were like family. They owned us. They um, welcomed us into the depths of their spiritual experience. And so that was, that was the most formative uh, training uh, to answer your question. Uh, had a youth leader that had gone to Lee College at the time. And he thought it was the greatest place in the world and uh, came back and encouraged me and even brought me down to Lee for the first time when I was a junior in high school. And uh, Lee was, was a very uh, important place in my life because it was the first time that uh, education and spirituality came together for me uh, in a way that I felt more than I even understood consciously when I first came here as a junior, a high school junior. But, but there was a lot of tug of war going on inside of me as I was growing up in Michigan between, you know, the, the northern public school system and then that little Pentecostal church. And so uh, those were two different worlds. It was like a cross-cultural experience to go from one to the other. But when I came to Lee, some of that began to come together. And so uh, my teachers at Lee, I can't thank them enough for uh, helping me to bring those worlds together. And uh, of course, most importantly, I had a tremendous encounter with the Lord uh, as a student at Lee, several as a matter of fact, that really changed me and gave me a, a passion and, and a desire to, to study scripture. And uh, so... The rest is history. <laughs> oh, and during those times, where was it? Because I know, like, it's pretty obvious that you have a really strong uh, compassion for young people uh, mm -hmm. and to be involved with people that are in that age range of young adulthood, which mm -hmm. when there's a great need to be more influenced in what kind mm -hmm. of a person you're going to be, but you're making the decisions. You're still behind the wheel at that time mm -hmm. in your life, uh, more so than when you were younger or a child. Mm -hmm. um, what would you say, this is a really big question, but this is some of the top one I sent to you. Um, what would you say is the issue right now in the United States with the generation, the young generation, and the degree of confusion that's just ensued in our culture? What's going on? What's going on? Um, well, it's the worst pandemic in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the fatherlessness the parentlessness of, um, of young people coming up in our world. Mm. Um, you know, parents in God's uh, plan 
you can see it in Genesis. They have a role um, of, you know, giving life to their, their children. And one of the biggest, um, most, you know, defining responsibilities of parenthood is to bless the children. You can see that the theme of blessing takes off from Genesis chapter 1. The first thing God does when he creates human beings in Genesis 1 is God bless them. Um, and that becomes then a major theme in the book and what, how God blesses humankind uh, carries forward and how parents then have a responsibility to bless their children. And uh, the blessing is, um, you know, it covers quite a range. We use the term blessing, you know, yeah. all the time. Uh, so there's that that uh, understanding that blessing is giving good wishes to somebody and mm -hmm. wanting good to happen to them. But then that goes. There's a continuum that goes all the way to those solemn words that are spoken at some of the most sacred moments of life, uh, like a wedding ceremony or a royal coronation or a deathbed farewell. Mm -hmm. And you especially see that in Genesis, where yeah. the patriarch will gather the children to himself and speak solemn words uh, over their lives. And uh, so I think that there is a humongous, massive lack of that going on in the world mm -hmm. and ev even in the church. Wow. I think uh, in many ways we, we, we have just lost the, the sight of and we've lost the language of uh, what the Bible is talking about when it's talking about uh, blessing mm -hmm. the children. So uh, when you're not blessed as a child, um, you're missing something that helps you know who you are. Mm. Um, wow. my, my, my working definition for blessing uh, are um, words that uh, address the significance of the origin and the destiny. Mm. of uh, your loved ones. That's what a blessing is. It's words wow. that uh, touch the significance of the origin and the destiny of, of our loved ones. And, wow. and I just think kids are growing up lacking that, and then, and then they don't know who they are and they don't know where they're going. Mm. And we have a culture that more and more is saying, uh, it's all up to you, Fig you know, figure it out. That's true. Yeah. And so <laughs> they're figuring out, they're figuring it out yeah. and it's leading them into um, a wilderness mm -hmm. of, um, of lack of meaning, uh, depression, mm -hmm. uh, confusion to the point that they don't know who they are. They don't even, they don't even know what sex they are. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. And the, what's interesting about the way that you just approach that, um, because usually whenever I would pose a question like that, most people would immediately go towards bad decisions that have been made. Mm -hmm. Or, well, you know, our culture is full of sin, or, you know, we've turned away from the Lord, which is true. Uh, but usually people don't first say there's something that God told us to do or that should be a natural part of our life mm -hmm. that's even fundamental in the family that's just gone, it's mm -hmm. been lost. And at the church, foremostly, has abandoned that purpose. Mm -hmm. now, now, 
So in other words, like Jesus said, do unto others, not don't do this. But there's mm -hmm. something, there's a call to action that you've right. neglected. Mm -hmm. um, what is the reason why our culture, why the families lost that intentionality of fathers blessing their children um, and, and speaking over the mothers being being cognizant of their children's destiny. Because you do see that in, in Genesis, you know, and I'll say this for those listening. If you went and looked at ISO's Genesis course, you'd see at the very end where Jacob, or if you opened up and read the last few chapters of Genesis, uh, Jacob blesses his children. And you're, you're right, he does have a very specific understanding of each mm -hmm. child's identity and where they're mm -hmm. heading. That blew me away when you said that, because mm -hmm. that provides structure and meaning. Mm -hmm. um, where did we, how did we lose that? How did we lose it? Well, there's a lot of ways to answer that question. Mm -hmm. uh, um, I would say the, the short answer is we, we forsook God and we began to worship other gods. Mm. Um, and everybody is, is worshiping, you know, what was it? Bob Dylan, everybody serves somebody. Yeah. Um, atheism has never been the issue. Mm -hmm. Um, that's just a trick. <laughs> um, we're, we're all worshipers mm -hmm. and we're all giving ultimacy to something. Um, and you know, for a lot of people in the Western enlightenment, it's, it's logic and rationality and mm -hmm. human reason mm -hmm. that that's our God. Um, uh, you know, what the great French philosopher Rene Descartes kind of mm -hmm. gave the enlightenment its motto, I think, therefore I am. Mm -hmm which is, is very different than I am that I am. <laughs> wow, I like that. Um, yeah, it, it yeah. is. It's almost like a counterpoint. It's almost yeah. like a rejection, um, a total rejection of, mm. of seeing the ground of our being, the mm -hmm. ground of our life, uh, in a God who is uh, beyond us, who's transcendent. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so when we're self-grounded, well then, uh, and, and we worship you know, the gods that, uh, that, that, uh, have us on self groundedness. Mm. Um, by the way, that plays into polytheism because, mm. uh, you know, when you're worshiping many gods, uh, you're the, you're the arbiter wow. between them. Wow. So, so in other words, you're sitting at the control panel yeah. of, of the, of the <laughs> worshiping of other gods. So, so that's really, that plays into the hands of, yeah. of a self grounded life. Um, and so, in our world today, we've got lots of gods. That's we've incredible. Got lots of idols, and wow. and so that I think that's where it starts. And so, when you start reading Genesis, you start worshiping a God, who, who is a parent. Mm. You know, I, I'm writing a book right now on spiritual parenting, and I'm mm. saying spiritual parenting begins with God because God's the first parent. Wow. He's the <laughs> ultimate parent. Um, and so, in Genesis chapter one, he is the creator. We all see that he's the creator. Mm -hmm. He's the king because he speaks and mm -hmm. when he speaks, it's carried out <laughs> and he has dominion and he yeah. shares that dominion. He, you know, that's part of, you know, making human beings in his image and he gave them dominion. Well, mm -hmm. he gave them dominion because he had dominion. Mm -hmm. So he's the creator, he's the king, and he's also the parent. Mm -hmm. He's the first parent. He, because he, 
um, you know, he, 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 he's not only the God of creation, but procreation. And so when he makes plants, they reproduce after their kind. When he wow. makes animals, they reproduce after his kind. But when he comes to human beings, he makes them in his own image, hmm. which is to say after his own kind. So he's the parent mm-hmm. of human beings. And then he blesses them. And then he, he names them as he blesses them. And so naming and blessing mm-hmm. become then uh, the markers of God's parenting of humankind and our parenting in the human family in the covenant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, when we worship that God and follow that God, mm-hmm. we're going to become like that God in, in doing these things that God does. And God wow. has set the world up and the covenant and the human family up that way. Wow. There's something you said earlier that really kind of, it blew me away because you said that when you worship many gods, you become the arbitrator between the gods. Right. Almost like a mediator between them. Exactly. Which it's almost like the gods are in tension with one another and arguing and one right. has vested interests against the other. And it, it just reminded me immediately, there's a, a really weird and bizarre glorification of mental illness right now yeah. in that people are so hungry for identity that they are beginning to... Uh, treat diagnoses as though it gives them an identity. And sure. I think that that's probably their way of dealing with real pain that they may be going through. But they're, the, the way they're doing that is by forming communities around the pain. The reason I mention that is in my mind, when you said that, I could see someone who has, has these warring voices inside of yeah. them internally in our culture because we don't worship the Lord worship all these different gods. Mm-hmm. There are these warring voices that are causing us to become conflicted. Mm-hmm. And we have to, if you're in that position, you have to become the mediator mm-hmm. and try to somehow reconcile all these voices. Yeah. But the Lord, is, the Lord is his own mediator to us mm-hmm. because we're unable to understand him. And right. it, it just hit me real strong because uh, that, that, that's the beginning of, when you mentioned the idolatry that's going on, the beginning of it, like Paul mentions in Romans 1, when you begin to worship the Lord, there's, there's this clarity that comes over you because mm-hmm. you're operating in alignment with the image of God mm-hmm. versus when you turn and worship the created beings, God has to give you over to this mm-hmm. confusion that's now, that we're seeing now. Mm-hmm. Um, how, what are the first steps that you think? If you looked at a church and you said, okay, this is how you guys are going to begin to address the culture around you. This is how you need to speak to young people to, to cause them to come out of mm-hmm. this psychosis that's going on in the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the short answer, pray. Mm. Pray. Um, you know, I, I, I don't have a formula. Mm-hmm. I, I've become less and less... Um, um, confident mm-hmm. in formulas. Um, I'm a Bible teacher and I don't even have a formula for studying the <laughs> yeah. Bible. Um, you know, I just know that there is a, a holy God who, who reigns over the whole universe and he wants to communicate. And uh, he, he doesn't want us to follow... <laughs> Um, some 
some crusade or some even some doctrine. He he wants us to follow God. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus in the Gospels, follow me. Mm-hmm. Just follow me. Spend time with me. Um, be with me. Um, you know, that's the starting place. It always starts with, with a life of prayer. And that's and that's a, a life not just of speaking to God, but listening to God. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and sometimes I think some of the best prayer is just being quiet, mm. listening, listening. Um, and as a Pentecostal, you know, that's kind of hard for us because <laughs> mm-hmm. we, we, we kind of associate the presence of God with, with various Loud. kinds of yeah. noise. <laughs> Um, yeah. but, but the silence of, of um, just being in God's presence. Thank you so much for watching ISO Insights, ISO Bible College's podcast. And I wanted to let you know about something that we offer, making it easy for you to see the rest of the courses that we have sampled in our videos here on our YouTube channel. You can use our All Access Pass, which you can find more about both in the description below and at isow.org, our website. By using the All Access Pass subscription, $99 a month, will get you full access to all of our course catalogs. So please do go over and check out our all-access pass at iso.org. In Mark's gospel, you know, when Jesus began to call the disciples, it was so, so that mm-hmm. uh, they would be with him, you know, full stop, <laughs> so that they would that's be awesome. with him. Yeah. And uh, so that's what I can say. I mean... Mm. As, as a minister, as, a, as someone called to teach and to preach, um, spending time with God is where I hear what God wants me to say. So mm-hmm. back to your question, you know, what would I do to tell somebody something? I would, I would try to spend time with the Lord until he let me know mm-hmm. how best to, you know, to talk to a congregation or, or to an individual. Hmm. Um, you know, I, I just love reading the Gospels and seeing the uh, specificity of what Jesus said to, you know, he didn't have a, <laughs> uh, you know, a set script yeah, for evangelizing. Yeah. Every conversation was different mm-hmm. and every conversation was, was, was obviously uh, filled with revelation of what God knew about that mm. specific individual and their history, you know, mm. like uh, the woman at the well, you yeah. know, the Holy Spirit <laughs> revealed through Jesus the, um, you know, of course, Jesus's point on all that is, you know, the worshiping God in spirit and in truth. And boy, mm. there was spirit and truth all over that conversation mm. that just penetrated that woman's situation, that woman's history. And so she comes back telling the town, come and see the man that, that told me all things. Mm-hmm. So, so back to your question, God knows everything about every individual. He knows everything about every congregation. He knows everything about a, a denomination. And if we spend time with him and he's calling us, he will give us things to speak and to share and to say that will unlock uh, I often think about that in terms of the keys of the kingdom, mm. you know, yeah. 
God has this key ring, so to speak, and he's, he's got a zillion keys on that key ring, and he knows just the one to give us to unlock an individual heart. So it really is that simple. It's like, don't yeah. overcomplicate it. Just know Jesus. Yeah. Know Jesus. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And, and I think, um, you know, in, in, the, in the first century, um, what, there's that one scripture. Um, I'm, I'm not good at remembering uh, scripture quotes. Um, I guess I look at too many different translations <laughs> and I don't memorize like they used to when all they had was the King James Version. But they took note of, of these disciples that they had been with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I don't think that referred just to while Jesus was physically present mm-hmm. on earth. Wow. Uh, it had to do with they, they were living their lives post-ascension, mm-hmm. spending time with Jesus. And, um, and, and when that happens, it's, it's not us, it's Jesus in us. Yeah. yeah. And even Physically after- present through, through our physical <laughs> beings, he's present. Wow. Yeah. And even after he was ascended, they were like, this is the evidence in their life indicates right. that Jesus still is yes, alive because right. right. they've clearly been with him. Yeah. That's amazing. Right. Yeah. And I wanted to ask, um, getting closer to the end here, um, what is God? It is a strong question. <laughs> Sometimes some people aren't at liberty to share this thing. But what is God saying to you right now about where you're at, what your mission is and your purpose? Thank you for that question. I uh, I do have have an answer for that. I in the uh, in the fall of 2021, um, I was having a conversation with my wife. Mm-hmm. Um, I was getting to the point in life, obviously, where you start thinking about your end game in terms of your vocational career. And as we were talking with one another, I said to my wife. This is going to be my last year of full-time teaching. And uh, she looked at me, and she said, you're right. It is. It's like we both knew it. We both knew it at the same time. It, it wasn't a voice from heaven or anything, but it was just a conversation that all of a sudden it was like the fog dissipated. Mm-hmm. And I knew that God was asking me after um, – almost 40 years of teaching, you know, mm-hmm. my, my, that was my 40th year. Uh, I, I'm not a numbers guy and I couldn't even have told you that day mm-hmm. that this is my 40th year, but in retrospect, it, it, uh, it obviously my, a good round wow. number. Um, but from that point on, um, people began to ask me, you know, when I made it official and everything and they knew, I guess it was October from that point on that I, this was going to be my last year. Everybody was asking me, what are you going to do? Um, and I knew what my answer was supposed to be. I'm going to let go. Hmm. And, uh, and they said, yeah, but you know, after that, what are you going to do? I said, well, <laughs> to, to jump to that is almost uh, a resistance to letting go. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to let go. That's what mm-hmm. I'm going to do. That's what God is asking me to do is to mm-hmm. let go. And so, you know, people would say, uh, are you going to write something? You know, because that's, you know, scholars, you know, par- publish or perish kind of thing. And, uh, and I knew the answer to that question. Uh, yeah, I think 
I'm, I'm going to write something, but I'm, uh, uh, I, I don't think I want to write something that primarily addresses other scholars. Mm -hmm. I want to write things for my children and my grandchildren. I want to write things that they will one day want to read. And uh, so those were my answers. And uh, that, tra that, that, was, that was what I said from October all the way to uh, the end of the spring semester mm -hmm. in 2022. And so we had commencement, my, my, the, the commencement of my 40th year, mm -hmm. my last commencement. Um, so what commences after that? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I didn't know. I, I had succeeded in letting go. <laughs> And uh, so it was, I think, the Thursday after that commencement, I, um, I woke up in the morning, uh, really early in the wee hours, um, went to the, the, the bathroom, and as I'm walking to the bathroom, I hear this thought just as clear as crystal, and the thought was, I'm about to shake the earth. Mm. Um, you know, I'm thinking that's probably just me. I'm also thinking since 2020, <laughs> the earth has been shaky. I mean, what, what, what more, if it is God, what more are you going to do? What's next? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then, and then I said, well, it's just me. I heard it again. Mm -hmm. Um, then, and I kept fighting it off and, and I heard it a third time. I, I go back and get in bed it's still dark and I think about five in the morning and um, and then as I lay there thinking that that's just me um, I that same voice in my head says Psalm 104 32 and um, you know I, I've taught Psalms but I couldn't at that moment remember what Psalm 104 was mm -hmm. I I couldn't have told you if th that there were 32 verses in Psalm 104. <laughs> so I'm laying there and I'm saying, that's just me. Mm. And then again, and then a third time. And I thought, I'm mm. going to have to get, I'm going to have to get up and go see what this is. And so I get out of bed, walk into the den, sit down in, in my recliner in the dark. And I have my cell phone and I start scrolling in my U Bible. Um, and it's, uh, you know, it's set on the last translation that I was using, which mm -hmm. happened to be the Common English Bible. Um, and uh, I get to Psalm 104 and it jogs my memory. It's a creation psalm celebrating mm -hmm. all the many wonderful things that God has done in the creation of the world. And I'm thinking this is not going to have anything to do <laughs> with... And I get down to verse 32, and I'm thinking while I'm scrolling, I'm thinking, if this has anything to do with shaking the earth, I said, I'm going to freak out here in the dark. And I got to verse uh, 32, and it says, he only has to look at the earth, and it shakes. Wow. Oh, my word. And, and, uh, and then the second line said, uh, uh, he touches uh, the mountains, and they erupt in smoke. And it's like this one apocalyptic verse that's in this creation psalm. It's crazy. And, uh, and so my heart's pounding. And the first thing I want to do is I want to go wake up my wife and tell her what happened. I, I mean, it's like seeing a UFO. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so 
I uh, wait until the sun comes up and my wife gets up and I tell her about all of this. And as I'm excitedly telling her about this, I said, I said, Gene, I said, it's, it's, it's like, it's like I got a, a text message from the God of the universe. And I said, wait a second. I said, it wasn't like that. It was that. It was that. And so that was like an alert to me. You know, that's my experience. I, I know it's not your experience or anybody <laughs> else's out there. But, um, you know, that was God was serving me notice mm -hmm. that that something was 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 in front of me, of, of us. Mm -hmm. um, and so. Um, By the end of that month, a message began to form for me. And I'll kind of fast forward to uh, the month of June. Mm -hmm. I got this invitation to go to a church in Pennsylvania, uh, pastored by a former seminary student of mine who was celebrating his 10th year as the senior pastor. And so he's there. And, uh, and so I have this message mm -hmm. that... that uh, I feel like has been forming ever since that morning, and and it and it goes like this: the the message is only one word, and the word is behold, behold. Uh, my life scripture, um, the the scripture that God has used more often and more deeply in my life than any other is the final two verses of the uh, mm. of the the book, the Old Testament. Malachi 4, 5, and 6, uh, which says, Behold, uh, before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes, mm. I'll send the prophet Elijah, and he'll turn the hearts of parents, elders to their mm. children, and children to their elders, lest I come and smite the land with mm. a curse. Uh, end of Old Testament. Um, and so I was drawn as, even though that had been my life verse mm. for a long time, life passage, um, the word behold wow. jumped out at me in a, in a fresh new way. Behold. Um, and then I looked to the beginning of the chapter, chapter four of Malachi, and it begins, behold, the day is coming. And so what began to form was, was a message around the word behold. Behold, the day is coming. Behold, before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes, I'll send the prophet Elijah to turn the hearts. And uh, so um, that's the message that's burning in my heart. And, and that day that I preached it at this church in, in Pennsylvania, um, I had a third behold. I guess, you know, as a Church of God preacher, I have to have three points instead of just two. But I, I reached over to... Um, uh, the beginning of Luke's gospel, where, where Luke picks up where Malachi leaves off uh, with the story of uh, the angel appearing to Zacharias, telling him that he's going to have, a, that he and his wife are going to have a son mm. and um, he's going to be raised up in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts. Um, and so... Uh, and this, by the way, relates to the, where we started, you yeah. know, talking about, you know, what's, what's the greatest problem mm -hmm. in, in the earth right now? Well, the prophet Malachi seemed to think it was, 
it was hearts of generations turned away from one another. That's the, the mm -hmm. biggest issue because that's, that's given the greatest priority before the great and, and dreadful day. So, so the third behold comes in this way. Zechariah says to the angel, after he's told you, you and your wife are going to have a son, he said, how can this be? I'm old and my wife is advanced in years. Mm -hmm. uh, and then Gabriel says to Zacharias, behold, mm -hmm. uh, you're going to be mute and unable to speak until this comes to pass. That's the third behold. Uh, my take on that um, was... Um, behold, God will disable you in order to enable you mm. to behold. Wow. So behold the day, behold, God's going to send Elijah to turn the hearts. And uh, if you're having trouble believing it, behold, God will disable you mm. in order to enable you to behold. And after uh, Zacharias was struck dumb, he didn't have to wait another day before he began to behold. Uh, the truth of what uh, God had revealed through Gabriel to him. Um, I, I, can we have a minute yeah, or two sure, more? Go ahead. I get to Keep the going. end of that message. <laughs> I get to the end of that message. I'm looking over the edge of the pulpit in that Pennsylvania church. There sits my former student on the front row looking mm -hmm. at me. And I have this wild thought. And I say, is it okay if I do something kind of <laughs> spontaneous here? What's he going to say? You know? mm -hmm. He says, go for it. And then I, I looked at the congregation, and with all the intentionality of my heart, I said to them, I want all the old people to come to this altar. I want all the old people to come. And they looked at one another. Uh, then they started chuckling. Then they started squirming, and finally they started coming. That was a moment of revelation right there. It's a revelation of where old people are in our culture. They feel too old to be relevant. Wow. They feel obsolete. Uh, they feel <laughs> like uh, the last thing in the world is that God could birth something through them that would make a world of difference because this, the culture is, is, you know, relentlessly telling them mm -hmm. how unnecessary they are and how not with it they are. Um, I didn't, um, I, I just let those words hang out there. I didn't try to soften them at all. It's like I want all the old people to come to this altar. And finally they came and they lined up all the way across the front facing the congregation. And they were standing at that altar just like Zechariah <laughs> in, in the story there that's told in Luke's gospel was standing beside the altar feeling like he was too old. Hmm. Um, but I knew uh, that um, that moment was pregnant. That moment was pregnant. It was pregnant for the old people in our churches, the old people in our culture. You know, and, and it was a moment of, the, of, of turning hearts. And mm. with the help of my former student who, who was the pastor and his father who was the pastor emeritus and their wives, we began to pray for all of these elders. 
And, um, and I drove away from that church that weekend realizing that that was not a message just for that Sunday. It wasn't a message of the month. Mm. It was a message for this season in my life. And so uh, you started out making reference to the prayer vigil, the outpouring mm -hmm. at Lee. Uh, I, of course, I was very much involved with the young people. And I have been involved with young people, as you alluded to, for many, many years. And, and now we're starting to see a movement of the spirit among the young on mm -hmm. these, all these college campuses. Um, just like the Jesus movement. And, and of course, the film about the Jesus movement came out right in the middle yeah, of all yeah. of that. <laughs> um, God's shaking the earth. Um, uh, but I, I knew when all of that was happening that this, this is a wave and there is another wave that's coming. Mm -hmm. There's a wave that's coming. Uh, you know, according to Malachi, the prophet Malachi, another wave is coming. God is going to turn the hearts of the old to the young. Mm. And that's the wave I'm beginning to see everywhere I look. I'm beginning to see uh, the stirrings among the old, older generation, not just the younger generation. It's going to be different than the Jesus movement in that respect. It's going to be intergenerational. It's going to be the turning of the hearts. And uh, so everyone is saying, you know, the, these young people are desperate mm. as if the old people aren't. They're just as desperate, Matthew. It's, it's only that older people are more skilled at hiding it. Mm. But, uh, but God is going to uh, <laughs> surface all of that des desperation, I do believe. And we're going to see uh, the greatest awakening, the greatest revival mm. uh, that the world's ever seen. Behold. I, I believe that there are going to be people that listen to this episode that hear what you have to say. And they're going to have their hearts pricked and they're going to just begin to understand what God is saying. But they're, they're feeling inside, I feel like I can't do it. Like in Romans 7, Paul says, yeah. I have the will to, yeah. but the ability to, I feel like I lack right. it. Right. Could you pray over those people that they would behold and that they would hear the voice of the Lord? and yes. find the strength to reach out and to, to act. Right. Yes, I'd be glad to. I'd be glad to. Father, thank you for, for this time. Thank you for this opportunity um, to amplify this message that I believe you're sending in, into the world just like you promised through the prophet Malachi. And Lord, that... that uh, that proclamation, that prophetic word of Malachi, it showed up in the temple in Jerusalem uh, as told in the story of Zacharias in Luke chapter 1 where, where Zacharias felt like he was too old and I'm sure Elizabeth felt like she was too old. And so Matthew here has asked me to pray uh, for all of the, the, the people like Zachariah and Elizabeth who, who feel too old to give birth to the new thing that you're wanting to, to send into their lives and bring forth from their lives. Dear Father, um, my, my prayer to you is help them to realize that 
that in the case of Zechariah, uh, his, his feeling of um, inability and unworthiness did not stop you. It did not stop you at all from br bringing into his life the fruitfulness. Um, <laughs> he was resisting, Father, but you overcame his resistance. You, you even worked through the disability of him losing his voice, Lord, to, uh, to, to carry forward and to bring forward and to birth through him what you desired. And so, Lord, I, I'll, all I would, would say is, is in prayer to you is this, this announcement of beholding. Lord, you're the source of that announcement. You are the enablement of that announcement in the lives of all the people who are hearing this word right now. They're hearing it with their ears. Let them see it with their eyes, Lord Jesus. Let it be manifest in their lives, the fruitfulness of your promise to your glory. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, Dr. Moore, thank you so much for coming on this episode of the podcast. Um, it has been an, an immense honor to have you on. Uh, and who knows, but one day we could have you on again if you'd be willing. Sure. Um, and I, it's been such a, a fruitful episode. And I want to leave you that are listening once again with that message that the Lord's put on Dr. Moore's heart. Behold. We'll catch you later on ISO Insights.